We are living in difficult days. I started to bring some headlines from the past week or two and read them to you to convince you that we're living in difficult days, but then I thought, I don't think I have to convince you of that. I think you know. I think I can just say, we're living in difficult days, and you know it. Um, some people say this is the end, right? This is the end. And, uh, you know, possibly, we don't know that for sure, uh, perhaps it's not yet the end. Uh, some verses in the Bible suggest the end could happen at any moment. Christ could come at any time, what's called the imminent return of Christ. For example, 1 Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Of course, keep in mind, that was written 2,000 years ago, right? And Peter also says, With the Lord, one day is like a thousand, and a thousand is like a day. Uh, we have other texts that suggest there are certain things that have to happen first before Christ returns and the end comes. For example, one of the verses we're going to be in this morning, Mark 13.10, says the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And in the passage that we're looking at, Jesus is asked this question about the end. And he answers, he says, the end is not yet. And I think that's a helpful answer. You know, it's from the very lips of Jesus. The end is not yet. That's a good reminder. As long as we're here and he is not in the flesh, we can say the end is not yet. Right? It could come this afternoon. But until then, the end is not yet. Uh, Jesus is asked, of, and he, he says it's not for you to know the day, the time. And uh, he, he responds to their question Instead of giving them a specific day, he responds to their question by telling them what to do. It's very practical. And we're entering into a section where we're going to talk about the end. And we're going to focus this morning on what we're called to do in light of the evil days that we live in. Sometimes when I talk with people and they say to me, I'm convinced this is it, it's the end, I will often say to them, therefore what? Therefore, we, you want, we want us to do what? And if they're biblically minded, they'll say something like, we need to make sure we're prepared and we need to make sure other people are prepared. To which I say, amen. We're supposed to do that whether Jesus comes today or whether Jesus comes 2,000 years from now, right? If we knew with certainty he was coming today, what should we do? Make sure we're prepared, help others get prepared. If we somehow found out he's not coming for 2,000 more years, what should we do? With urgency, make sure we're prepared and make sure we help other people get prepared. So we're going to focus on this. What should we do? How should we live in light of the evil days that we live in? Uh, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Mark 13, and please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. I am going to read verses 1 through 13, and this is the very inspired Word of God. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings... And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. 
And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we come to you saying, as we look around at our world, things seem bad. Things seem like they are unraveling. It is hard for us to picture how it can be restored, how it can start heading in a good direction. We are like the disciples this morning. We are curious. We are wondering, what does this mean? What does that mean? What is the meaning of this? When will this come to an end? And I pray by your word and by your spirit this morning, you will do your work in us, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, challenge where we need to be challenged, and prepare us so that we are prepared for the days in which we live until you return. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 1 says, as he came out of the temple. It's a good reminder to us that he has been in the temple for chapters 11 and 12. Now he's leaving the temple. Some people see this as a fulfillment of Ezekiel 11.23, which talks about the glory of the Lord departing and, and, and heading east and heading to the Mount of Olives, and that's where Jesus is going. He's, he's departing and he's heading to the east to the Mount of Olives. As they're leaving, the disciples point out just how impressive the temple is. They say, look at this incredible structure. And it was. I've read where it was comparable to the seven wonders of the ancient world in size, the size of the stones, the the beauty, the glory, the way it shined. It was an incredible building. And and, and Jesus is asked here, you know, know, look at how how nice it is. Look at how wonderful it is. Wow. Jesus uh, says to them, verse 2, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So Jesus says, it's all going to fall, guys. And by the way, it does. Today, the only thing left is the retaining wall, what's called the, the Western Wall, which is one of the, holy, the holiest place for, for Jewish people. And uh, Jesus says, it's all, it's all going to come down. And think about how startling that would be to hear. I mean, this is, this is the building where they make the, you know, the pilgrimages. This is where they bring the sacrifice. This is where the worship happens. This, this building represents the presence of God on the earth. And Jesus says, it's about to all be destroyed. It's about to all come down. So, so it's alarming. And I can picture them almost just in silence, just like trying to you know, wrestle with this. What does this mean? As they leave the temple and head down, down the hill, through the Kidron Valley, back up to the top of the Mount of Olives, probably a 30, 45-minute walk. And they finally get to the other side, and it says they sit down. The Mount of Olives was a few hundred feet higher than the temple, and so they can kind of look down on it in all of its glory. And four of the disciples come to Jesus privately, and they say, we, we, gotta, we can't let that statement go. We've got to follow up and, and ask a little bit about what you mean when you say not, not one stone is going to be left on another. And so verse 4, Jesus says, or they say, tell us then when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Like, when's this going to happen? Jesus has just made a predictive prophecy. And they want to know when. And Jesus doesn't give them the exact date. We know, looking back at history, the exact date is 70 AD, when the temple is destroyed and Jerusalem is overtaken by Rome. Uh, Jesus doesn't give them the exact date. Instead, he kind of prepares them. He equips them. He, he gives them a lesson. He's like, guys, I, I'm warning you here. 
it's not going to be easy. You're, you're about to face some serious challenges, and you need to know that. And he gives them some commands, imperatives. That's what I want us to focus on this morning. The imperatives that Jesus gives them in light of this conversation. Because we could spend all our time chasing rabbits. What does this mean? What does that mean? How do we interpret this? How do we interpret that? And there's a time and place for that. But wouldn't it make the most sense for us to invest our time in focusing on what does Jesus tell us to do in light of this? And that's what I want to point out. There are five commands, five imperatives in our passage that I want to highlight for you. First of all, watch out. Now you say, where do you see that? It's actually the NIV translation. I just thought it'd be better to be shorter than longer. The the ESV says, see that no one leads you astray. The NIV says, watch out that no one deceives you. Watch out. Don't let anyone lead you astray. The word astray comes from the word planeto, where we get our word planet. Watch out that someone leads you off course, out, out there. Because he says, verse 6, many will come in my name saying, I am he. There will be many claiming things like, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. We've seen some of those in our day. In 1993, there was a famous incident, the, the, the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas. David Koresh, uh, many of you remember this. David Koresh was not born David Koresh. He was born Vernon Howell, and he changed his name. Why did he change his name to David? Because he sees himself as a Davidic son. He sees himself in the lion in the lion of David. He sees himself as a Messiah, right? And so that there are people who will claim to be the Christ. And Jesus is warning us here: there will be people <clears throat> who claim to speak on behalf of the Christ. There will be people who will lead you astray because they'll be claiming to give you the teaching of Jesus, and it's not. So watch out, Jesus says in Matthew's parallel account, Matthew twenty four eleven. He says many false prophets will r- arise and lead many astray. He's warning here about false prophets, false teachers. In Luke's parallel account, Luke 21.8, he says, Many will come in my name saying, The time is at hand. Do not go after them. Luke says, Jesus says, according to Luke, Watch out. There's going to come people saying, It's time when it's not. So watch out for them. This is like Paul writing to the Thessalonians. And he has to tell them to keep working because they're quitting their jobs because they think the end is near. The end is near. Jesus is coming. Let's quit our jobs and go up to the mountain and just wait for Jesus. And Paul says, no, you don't know that the end is near. Keep your job. Keep working. You don't know. It might be 2,000 more years. And by the way, it has been. Right? So verse 6, they will lead many astray. Watch out. There will be many who will be led astray. Think about that. There's a category of people, actual people, real people with names, who will be led astray. Watch out. Don't be among them. How can I make sure I'm not among the ones who are led astray? How can I make sure it's not me? How do I know if I'm dealing with a false teacher or a true teacher? Right? If this is such a real problem, what can I look out for? I want to mention two things. Two characteristics to look out for a true teacher versus a false teacher. First of all, do they regularly, frequently, explicitly keep coming back to the gospel? Do you hear the gospel regularly taught and emphasized? And by the gospel, I don't mean Jesus loves you. That's good. That's true. That's right. By the gospel, I don't mean ask Jesus into your heart. By the gospel, I mean substantively. God the creator, man the sinner, dead in his sins, Christ the savior, 
who, who, who dies in our place for us on the cross, rising again on the third day, and, and the need to respond with repentant faith. If I don't hear those themes frequently from an author, from a preacher, I'm not interested. I don't care how good of a speaker they are. I don't care how motivating they are. If it's not the gospel, and, and this person claims to be a Christian preacher, I, I'm not following. I'm not listening. Right? A second characteristic to look out for, do they regularly emphasize what the Bible regularly emphasizes? I like the way Alistair Begg says it. He says, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. In other words, when you go through the Bible and you see the same themes over and over, and it's really clear and obvious, this is what it says and this is what it means, those are the things I want to emphasize. Why? Because the Bible emphasizes them. And if the Bible emphasizes them, that means God emphasizes them. I want to emphasize what God emphasizes. I'm very leery of a person that's always finding the real obscure stuff, and they always want to talk about that. And it's some, you know, this random thing that could mean one of five things, and they're real passionate that it means this, and therefore we've got to do this, this, and that. I said, I'm not interested in investing my time in that. And I would encourage you, watch out. Watch out for false teachers. Many will be led astray. It's good for us to know that. Second, do not be alarmed. Look at verse 7. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Jesus says there will be wars. It's a part of living in a fallen world. We live in a Genesis 3 world where there's war, there's murder, there's death. The first two boys who are born, one of them murders the other one. And we just see that pattern repeated throughout the rest of human history. Don't be shocked. When there's war, war is a part of living in a fallen world. I tried to look up this past week how many wars there have been in human history. And it's a futile effort. They're endless. They're countless. And then I tried to look up even more futile is how many people have died in war in human history. It's countless. It's sobering just to see the list attempting to try to list the number of wars and the number of deaths. And I just thought I would just mention four that have happened more recently that we're more familiar with. Uh, up to 40 million people were killed in World War I. Up to 85 million people were killed in World War II. Up to 4.5 million people were killed in the Korean War. Up to 4.3 million people were killed in the Vietnam War. A lot of war, and that's just mentioned in four, a lot of death. And Jesus says, don't be alarmed. War is a part of it. Right? That we want peace. We pray for peace. Peace is the ideal, absolutely. But we're also told until Christ returns, there won't be peace on the earth. There will be war. Don't be alarmed. He says, don't be alarmed when there's earthquakes. I looked up how many earthquakes take place in a year, and the number I found said there are 20,000 earthquakes per year. Right? 55 a day. Most of them we don't experience, we don't feel. But it's just a reminder that the creation itself is volatile. The earth itself is volatile, is dangerous. It's good to know that. Don't be alarmed. Right? He says there'll be famines, verse 8. Um, I was kind of curious. You know, we don't hear about famines too much. So I looked at how many famines have there been in the past couple hundred years? Our country's been around for a little over 100 years. How many famines have taken place in the life of our country? More than, more than 100 more than 100 famines around the world have taken place. It's, it's a part of the fallen world that we live in. And Jesus refers to all of this as the birth pains. 
I can't help but think when I hear the word birth pains of uh, my wife and I and the birth pains that, that she experienced. Uh, they call them Braxton Hicks when they're in the early stages. And, and uh, our, we, were, you know, we had read all the books with our first child of what to expect and how to time them. So I can picture us sitting on the couch in the living room with the stopwatch, piece of paper, pen in hand, and I'm writing down, you know, when did it start? All right, hit the stopwatch and write down, okay, how many minutes was it between the start of this one and the start of that one? All right, nine and a half minutes. All right, you know, and then the next one, it might have been less and we'd kind of get, we'd get alarmed. Uh-oh, is this it? Do we need to go? Had our bags packed, had our list of things we do. And, you know, I don't remember what it, the number was, but it's like when it gets to five minutes or something like that. Don't, don't, take, don't listen to me. I'm just going off of memory from several years ago. Which could, it all could be different now. Uh, you know, I don't remember what the number was. It was like, when it starts to get about five minute average, that's when you need to start making your way. And I don't think we waited till five minute average, you know? We're like, six minutes? Okay, that's close enough. We're going. You know, we were alarmed. First child, what's going to happen? What do we do? Uh, we, we were ready. By the fourth child, you know, Whitney's like, I think it's time to go to the hospital. You ready? All right, I'll pack my bags. Let's go. Right? A little less alarm with it. And uh, he's telling us here, there are certain birth pains. Get ready. It's a part of living in this world. And as Paul tells us, the whole creation is in, in moaning and groaning and waiting for redemption. And we, along with the creation, are, are waiting. And, and, and while we're waiting, there is this groaning. There is this pain. There is these birth pains that's a part of it. And he says, don't be alarmed. It's a part of living in a Genesis 3 world. You just need to know. It's good for us to know. This is a part of it. Uh, third, be on your guard. I see this in verse 9. Once again, all I did is go through and highlight the commands, the imperatives. That's all I'm doing. Verse 9, be on, but be on your guard. That's where I got it. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Jesus says, guys, you will be beaten. In Matthew's account, he says, they will put you to death. And here he is saying, but don't be alarmed, <laughs> right? Don't be alarmed. You're going to be killed. You're going to be beaten. Don't be alarmed. He actually says, be on guard. The don't be alarmed is the wars and the famines. Don't be alarmed. But when he starts transitioning and talking about, you'll be beaten, you'll be killed, the command, the imperative is, be on guard, be ready. Like, like be prepared for it because it's happening. I think it's good for us to remember the context. He's speaking to the disciples. He's telling them they will be beaten in synagogues. And by the way, when you read the book of Acts, guess what? That happens. It's incredible. Uh, we, we were planning on going to, to Israel uh, a couple years ago, and we've had to postpone that trip several times, and we finally just decided Israel's not an option right now. We are going to Greece instead. We're going to go in the footsteps of Paul, and I'm looking forward to going to Philippi. Philippi is one of the towns where Paul preached the gospel and was beaten for it and was put in jail for it and was um, imprisoned. And then this is where he sang the songs at midnight, sang the hymns at midnight. But you can read, read the book of Acts and read the story of these things happening. The disciples being brought before synagogues, being tried, being beaten. And, and history says they faced it heroically. History says that they, many were killed for their faith. And so, you know, I don't think you and I are going to expect to go to a synagogue and be beaten. I don't know where that would happen in the world today, where we would go to a synagogue and be beaten for our faith. 
But it is good for us to pause and recognize there are Christians in the world today. Many of our brothers and sisters right now who are in places in the world where they are persecuted for their faith. Perhaps not in a synagogue, as Jesus said, for his disciples here. But persecution is a part of it. Death, martyrdom is a part of it. Uh, there was a story in the, in the news just in the past couple of weeks about 17 Christian missionaries being kidnapped in Haiti. And part of the challenge of, of people going in to try to find them and rescue them is an earthquake took place. A magnitude 7.2 earthquake that killed 2,200 people. So there's one story that connects persecution of Christian missionaries being kidnapped along with an earthquake that kills 2,200 people. So once again, there's the birth pains that Jesus says, don't be alarmed. This is a part of it. Be on your guard. Verse 10 the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. I'm confident somebody is reading that and saying, well, I know that for sure hasn't happened yet. There's no way that could have been fulfilled in 70 AD. But Paul multiple times refers to the gospel as having reached all the nations. And he writes his letters prior to 70 AD. Paul does his ministry, writes his letters prior to 70 AD. So for example, Romans 16:26, Paul says the gospel has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. So Paul says all the nations have heard. How can he say that? He doesn't mean it literally every single nation, every single people group, but he means the, the, the mission to go out from Jerusalem has happened. All the nations. By the time you get to the end of Acts, he's in Rome. And so Paul can say before 70 AD, all the nations have, have heard the gospel. So some of you in here probably think of this as already having been fulfilled. Verse 10, already having been fulfilled in, by 70 AD. Some of you are probably on the camp that says, no way, hasn't been fulfilled. Some of you are probably like me and you say, partially fulfilled, but still waiting for it to be fully fulfilled. And some of you say, I still don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> Whatever camp you're in, I just want to emphasize once again, the application is the same. So you can hold any of those views you like and that's wonderful and that's fine but the application for all of us is the same right we want to major on the majors and not major on the minors so let's major on the majors what does jesus tell us to do be on guard be on guard whether verse 10 has been fully fulfilled not yet fulfilled partially fulfilled what's the point be on guard play defense and play defense as you go as you go on offense we're called to advance. We're called to go to all the nations. Certainly we are. And while we go, there's a defensive element. Protect, defend the good deposit that's been given to you, like a running back. A good running back advances the ball. But when he advances the ball, he's not holding it out here, hopefully. Right? You want, you want him tucked away. You want When people start hitting at it, he's got it. No problem. There's a defensive aspect to running the ball, there's an offensive aspect to running the ball. And the same is true with what we're called to do. In light of the fact that we live in a fallen world, full of evil, we are called to advance the gospel while guarding it. Um, we're we're going to sing a song here in a little bit at the end of our service that talks about this. One of the verses says, We bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message ours, 
fired by the same ambition, to thee we yield our powers. And then the chorus goes like this. We go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. No other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord. We are in this dark, unraveling world, but we're here for a purpose. If we weren't here for a purpose, then we could become, what are we doing here? And skeptical and depressed. But we're here for a mission. We're here on purpose. He has us here for a reason. Even in the midst of an unraveling world, what's our mission? To take this torch, this flaming torch that our song talks about, and to keep advancing it. Others have advanced it before us. Some of them have died for it. Many of the apostles he's talking to die for it. What's our job? Pick up the flame, pick up the torch, and keep advancing it. Go on offense as far as we can to as many people as we can, and all the while play defense, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And I believe it's very likely there's some in here that God is specifically calling you out to go on mission to areas where Christ is not known to go to areas where Christ is not yet known very well and to be a part of the most incredible mission, the most powerful mission ever in the history of the world. Some of you hear that and it does something to you and you say, now that's exciting. And if that's you, first of all, you're not the first. We've had others from our church who have sensed God calling them to that. They've come up from our church and we've sent them out and they're now serving in the ends of the earth in very difficult places trying to advance the gospel where it's not. And if God is stirring you this morning, or He's been working on you lately, and you say, I wonder if He might be calling me, we would love to talk to you about that, walk with you through that, pray with you through that, and talk about what might it look like for you? What might God be calling you to do? We're supposed to guard even as we advance. And uh, come talk to us if you sense God might be calling you specifically to that task to go. Fourth, do not be anxious. Look at verse 11. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. He talks about these trials. Guess what? The disciples, you read the book of Acts, they face trials. They stand before kings. They have to give a defense. And they do. They're very heroic. By the end of Acts, Paul is before King Agrippa, preaching the gospel to kings in the ends of the earth, defending, standing in trial. Think about how natural it would be for the disciples to become anxious as they're sitting on the Mount of Olives and Jesus is telling them about these things. Think about the bad news they've just heard over the past few chapters. Guys, I'm about to die. Jesus says to them, I'm about to die. I'm about to be crucified. I'm about to be delivered over. So their leader, they've just learned, is about to die. They've just been told that the temple is about to be destroyed. Jerusalem's about to be overrun. Is there anything, could it get worse? Like, that's two really bad things. Oh yeah, oh and by the way, guys, you are going to stand before trial, you're going to be beaten, and some of you are going to lose your lives. But don't be anxious. How can he say, don't be anxious? How could they not be anxious? How could I not be anxious if I was in that moment? I want you to notice how Jesus appeals to the sovereignty of God in this passage. I want you to notice the sovereignty of God. He's in control. So it seems like things are unraveling, but God is in control. First of all, just notice that Jesus knows it's going to happen. 
He, he, he predicts it with specificity. It's going to happen. And by the way, it does. About 40 years later, it happens. The temple falls. Right? It hasn't been rebuilt since. You go today, all that's there is retaining wall that's left from Solomon's temple. Second, notice in verse 7, he says this must take place. It has to happen. These birth pains must happen before redemption. It's good for us to know that. It has to be like this. It has to happen. It must happen. It's not taking God off guard at all, the unraveling. He's not sitting back saying, oh man, I didn't see that coming. Not one thing. It takes us off guard. It doesn't take him off guard. It's good to remind ourselves of that. It must happen. It's necessary. This is according to God's plan. He's doing something. He's bringing about redemption from it, but it must happen. Third, Jesus says that God will give them the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will speak when they do stand trial and they do are uncertain what to say, not to be too worried about what they're going to say. The Spirit will give them the words to say. So Jesus says, therefore, don't be anxious. And I think that's a good word for us this morning because some of us might be feeling a little anxious about things, some of the headlines, some of the things going on in our own lives. And here's the point. He is in control. He is sovereign. He wins in the end. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It must happen. He is in control. Therefore, don't be anxious. The birth pains lead to redemption. Fifth, endure to the end. Look at verse 12. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is telling them, guys, it's going to be difficult. (laughs) I'm here to tell you, it's going to be tough. You're going to have families turning each other. You're going to have parents turning children over, children turning parents over to the authorities. You will be hated by all. Wow. Talk about kind of discouraging. You're going to be hated by all, Jesus says. And we might be tempted to give up. I think Jesus said, you're going to be tempted at times to give up. Like This is going to be tough. You need to know that. You're going to be tempted. But he says, don't do it. Don't give up. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And he says in Matthew's account, Matthew 24, 10, many will fall away. That's good to know. There are many who will fall away. In Mark 14, we're going to learn about one of the disciples who's going to fall away. One of his 12 that he called is going to fall away. He tells us many will fall away. But Jesus says, guys, the one who endures to the end He will be saved. This is a good reminder for us to not have the mentality that says, I made a decision, therefore there's really nothing else here for me to do. Right? This is very different than that. This is, you got to endure. The one who endures to the end will be saved. In Luke's account, Jesus says it like this. Luke 21, 19. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. By your endurance you will gain your lives. I'm going to use the imagery of running the Pikes Peak Marathon. Right? When, if you sign up for the Pikes Peak Marathon, you start out 7 o'clock in the morning, 
in Manitou Springs, downtown Manitou Springs, and you go 13 miles up the peak, climbing a 7,000-foot elevation climb, reach the top, you're a little over 14,000 foot, and then you turn around, you've got to come 13 miles back down. But it's easy because you're going downhill, so it's no big deal. You know? Your legs aren't cramping at all from going up the 13 miles. And I, I, I want to make the illustration that this is a lot like what the Christian faith is like. It's a, it's a long uphill. You know, there's some beautiful scenes along the way, and it's, it's, it's worth it, you know. Uh, but it's tough, and it's good to know that. And some of you may have never entered the race. Some of you may not be a part of the faith, and you need to. Today's the day. You say, how can I enter? How can I make sure I'm a part of the race? It's very simple. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Simply hear the gospel and believe it, and you can be right with God. We're going to celebrate those truths next week for Reformation Sunday on October 31. So I want you to hear me loud and clear. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I want to emphasize that. But I also want to emphasize what Jesus is emphasizing in our particular passage this morning, and that is the one who endures to the end will be saved. Wait a minute, which one is it? Is it, I'm saved by grace alone, to faith alone, and Christ alone? Like, that's it? Or is it, the one who endures to the end will be saved? It, it, it's, it's both. We have to affirm both, right? Here, here's how I think about this. If God saves you, if you're trusting in Christ, if God has saved you, if God has placed His Spirit in you, He's going to finish what He started in you. He can't, it won't be undone. It can't be undone. You are secure to the end. But one of the signs that you are secure to the end is you actually believe to the end. You actually trust to the end. You don't leave the faith. You don't walk off the trail. You don't say, I'm done here. People who walk off the trail are like Judas. Many will fall away. There will be many. It's good to know that. There will be many who will walk off the trail and prove that they had never been saved in the first place. And he's saying, don't, don't let that be you. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Some of you perhaps have been going strong at some point, but now you're tired. And maybe you've taken a little break and you said, I need a breather. You know, for me, over on the mountain, that happens right around tree line. You know, you get up there, I can't remember what, 10,000 feet, 12,000 foot. You got three more miles left. You look up, no trees, wind, cold, you're exhausted. You say, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? This is not smart. Why, why don't I just turn around and go back down? Right? So, some of you may feel that right now. And like, why keep going? This is tough. This is uphill. Things seem to be unraveling. Why keep going? Jesus is saying here to you. He's speaking to you. Let him speak to you. Hear the words of Jesus in this passage and let him minister to you. If you have stepped off the trail, if you are tired, if, you, if you're tempted this morning to quit, hear the words of Jesus and let it minister to you. First of all, he says, watch out. Watch out for those who might lead you astray. Watch out for those who might come along and say, it's the end. The end is here. Therefore, you're done. Don't quit because you think the end is here. You don't know. We don't know. It could be 2,000 more years. So watch out. For those who come along claiming to speak in Jesus' name, who are not, watch out. Because they're there. They're real. It's a real problem. It's a real category. There really are people who are led astray by it. Secondly, don't be alarmed. 
It's a fallen world. It's a broken world. There are wars. There are famines. There are earthquakes. There's natural evil everywhere. By the way, there's a lot of good too. There's a lot of joy to be found. But there's also a lot of a lot of pain. So don't be alarmed. When you look around and see it, third, be on your guard. Advance the gospel, and as you advance it, be on guard. This is the mission. This is why we're here. Say, why am I here? What is the purpose? You're here for a great mission. Many others have gone before us. Many others have faced serious, significant persecution. Many of our brothers and sisters are right now. It's good to know that. Right? Keep going. Keep advancing. Guard and advance. Fourth, don't be anxious. He's in control. He's got this. Don't be anxious. Keep being faithful. Keep doing what you're supposed to do. He's in control. And fifth and finally, endure to the end. The one who endures to the end will be saved. It's good to know. Chris, you're going to be tempted. There's going to be times you're going to be tempted to quit. There's going to be times you're going to be tempted to throw in the towel. Keep going. Even if you're not sprinting, just put one foot in front of the other. Just keep going. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says it like this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Are you weary this morning? Are you troubled this morning? Are you tired like many of us are? Keep looking to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. For the joy that was before Him, He endured it. He went the whole way to the point of death, even death on a cross. He went the whole way. So keep your eyes on Him. Keep trusting in Him. And keep enduring to the end. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Let's pray.